welcome you to Doxodeo Hatfield, a multi-ethnic family on mission, passionate about Jesus, passionate about community, and passionate about serving the city of Chwanika. So, Dr. Hatfield, can we please open up a Bible together to the book of Luke? So, New Testament starts with Matthew, Mark, and then Luke. It's the good news according to Luke the doctor. And uh, we're going to be preaching from chapter 12. So, we just finished up the book of John. We've been preaching literally the whole year to get through that book. And we decided now it's time for something very different. And so, we are speaking about money, moolah, cash, uh, Afrikaans, the skiller. No, that's what we're speaking about. Um, and as Bosov said, I know that is the one thing. Like, people don't want to speak about the end times and about, you know, a whole bunch of, they want to speak about money in church. I know that's the one thing that everyone says, like, I can't wait until we speak about money in church. It's my favorite topic. Um, so I'm just doing this for you. Like, I know this is what you've been asking for. So give the people what they want. That's basically our motto here at Hatfield. Um, no, not at all. We're speaking about this because I believe that following Jesus is not a Sunday thing. It's a whole life thing. And to be raptured into this relationship with Jesus where I respond to what he's done on the cross and I say, man, I, I, what, what can I do but respond in a way of grace and love? And I want to follow him now, not just with parts of my life, but with every facet of my life, with my sexuality, my time, my relationships, my work, and yes, with finances, because at the end of the day, these are tools that God has given me, resources that he is entrusting to me to steward for his means and his glory. So if I want to be a mature Christian, I need to say, God, you need to come and encourage and challenge me. We obviously say the Holy Spirit comforts the afflicted and afflicts the comfortable. Um, both of those things we need. God, come and afflict me in my comfort about finances because I want to mature but also, God, come and comfort me in my affliction. Heal me from wounds with regard to finances. Heal me from wounds from my past now. We think about those things. All of these are important. And so my biggest fear would be, because you may be in a different life phase, or you sit here and you say, you know what, I think this is so important, it's just not for me. That is my biggest fear. And I really want to encourage you, whether you are in high school, whether you're a student, whether you're in the thick of the career path at the moment, whether you're in your 40s or 50s, you're an empty nest, you're on your way to retirement, for every single one of us, this is crucially important. My views about my finances as a Christian, if you're a Christian here this morning, so incredibly important. So we've said four values that we're going to make it nice and, and short, sweet, pithy statements that help us. I said Borsov kicked off with the hard stuff last week, so now I can ease into the easier things. So we said, number one, what? Stress is bad. Speaking about debt, today we're going to speak about less is more. Contentment. Number three, giving is good. And number four, speaking about tomorrow matters. We're going to speak about legacy. So can we say those four things together? 
We're going to do it like irritating church style to get it into our hearts. So all four of them, let's say it's better. Stress is bad, less is more. Giving is good, tomorrow matters. Let's try it one more time. Let's go together. Stress is bad, less is more. Giving is good, tomorrow matters. Guys, we on a roll. You need a third one. You can't just do two. So one more time. Stress is bad, less is more. Giving is good, tomorrow matters matters. Amen and amen. Can the worship team join me? That was the whole sermon. Good stuff, guys. So less is more. I've told you guys often about our circle of friends from school called the Big Five, a copyrighted name, by the way. And the reason why we got together, that was like a quick joke just thrown in there. Um, the reason we got together as a bunch of friends is at the end of high school, um, all of us had these radical conversions to Christian faith. And what bound us together at that point was greater than anything like sport or girls or whatever it is in high school that binds you together. And because of that, we said, we're going to stick it out together because we want to not start faith well. We want to finish faith well. I don't want to at 75 say the good old days of my faith when I was a young man. And I need people around me to do that. And so we studied together and then we made this commitment to say from the end of our studies till as long as God wills, we are going to get together once a year for a big five weekend of conversations of the values that keep us together in faith. And so we've been doing that for more than a decade now. And you'll see some of these photos when we were um, leaner and uh, more hair was present and most of the people, uh, you won't recognize some of them today. But I want to tell you about the very first big five weekend that we had. So we just kind of fresh into the working space. Um, everyone is excited about what God wants to do through their lives. And so we go to Clarence, and it's an amazing weekend. We had our first child. We were the first amongst our friends to basically have a kiddo. And so we pitch up there with Abby sitting actually in the front here as a, as a baby. And this weekend was so amazing, just hearing what God is doing. Now people have moved out of our hometowns, and they're in the working space, and some are in Joburg, and you know, some are in the Western Cape, and all over the show. And after that weekend, it was so encouraging Shay and I get in our car, and as we drive out, not even two minutes out of Clarence, putting my wife on the spot here, my wife just bursts into tears. Like full-blown, like scary movie, jump scare moment. She's like, blah, just like bursts into tears. And I'm like, what did I do? Like, is it, is it her birthday and I forgot? Or like, what, what, what's happened here? And as she just starts to unpack, almost just verbally process a bit, I realize as she's speaking, I feel exactly the same way because she's basically saying that, listen, as amazing as this weekend has been, it almost feels at school, maybe the beginning of university, you're all on kind of equal footing as people. You know, your parents are kind of having to look after you and you, you, you're kind of in the same circles. And then when you start working, the choices start making a difference. And there was this, I will admit, very immature, but this is the reality. I know you guys are super mature, but I always have to speak from the place of immaturity just to help you understand, you know, the world out there. Uh, they're not all as amazing as you people are. But I had to be honest in saying that when my wife just made the statement to say, I feel that we are so far behind. Compared to our friends, we're so far behind. And when she said it, I realized that's exactly how I feel. You know what had taken root in our hearts? It's this little word called discontentment. We were so discontent and dissatisfied with where we were compared to other people. 
And I think one of the greatest challenges in wanting to say, God, I want to steward for your glory and your kingdom, whatever you put in my hands. Friends, the next four weeks have nothing to do with rands and cents. It has everything to do with my relationship with God and being a good and faithful servant of what God has given me to do. Our callings are too different here to make this a cookie cutter conversation. And one of the most important things to say, God, if I live in a perpetual state of discontentment, I will never be able to walk in the calling that God has for me. Can I ask you, if you had three months, beginning today, three months to live, what would you focus on? How would you spend your time? Three months to live. Think about that. I think the students would love that. They're like, I don't have to worry about all these exams and all that. But I think most people, yes, Yaro, I see that hand. I think most people would, you know, go to the big things, like religion, God, family, you know, my kids, and that's what we would spend our time on. You know what most people would not spend their thinking and their emotion and their energy on if you have three months to live? The newest iPhone, granite countertops, upgrading the car that I've always wanted, you know, just adding one more room. If I can just now get that position, none of that would suddenly matter. Why? Because we are sold on this lie every single day through culture, through conversations, through family, through our own hearts at times that more is more. More is more. And your issue in life is that you don't have the more. And if you're unsatisfied, if you feel discontent, if you feel frustrated, if you feel that you're not where you're meant to be, the answer is simple, more. I mean, I can just ask you where you find yourself. Again, we've got so many different places, backgrounds, languages, financial positions here. Let me ask you this question. How much money would you need added to your salary every month to be happy? Maybe your pocket money, maybe what your parents give you. How much? 100 rand? 1,000 rand? 10,000 rand? 100,000 rand? A million rand? Someone's like, oh, okay, a million rand. You know what the answer is? More rand. That's the answer. Everyone sits here and you're like, you know what I need to be happy? More rand. That's always the answer. Because we have been conditioned that if you do not feel content and satisfied, the answer is always more. Now, I love what Lauren Greenfield, she's a documentarian, and she did this massive 10-year project called Project Wells. Listen to the, the tagline of this documentary. It says, how the modern world just hated being in church. Right? Let's just agree, guys. How the modern world fell in love with money. This is a secular documentary, of course. And one of the main conclusions often quoted from this documentary is Lauren said, no matter how much, this is cross-culturally, this is cross-continental, this is age brackets, all of it. No matter how much people had, they still wanted more. Our culture and our world is built on more. If you want to be happy, if you want to be satisfied, more is the answer. And I love the fact that, you know, Michael Whitmer, he's an author, he says the scoreboard has never changed. It's always the same. Success, stuff, status. Success, what have you done? Stuff, what do you have? Status, what do other people think about you? That's all we ask and need to know in our modern world, to know if you are going somewhere, if you are someone, or if you're worth it. And if you're not in a good place, if you feel dissatisfied or discontent, the answer is always more. Can I tell you about a moment where I realized more is not always more? 
just beginning of high school, I had to get an operation, broken collarbone, and you know the whole story about you go, you know, gonna go under anesthesia, so you're not allowed to eat the previous evening. And so when I get out of that operation, when I, you know, come back to life in a sense, typically like early high school, just boy, I am so hungry, like I'm dying. I will eat the sheets of that hospital bed if I'm not fed like anytime soon. And so my parents asked me, what would I want? It's almost like we're gonna spoil you now, this is a difficult moment. And I'm like, I want a pizza and I want three iced tea, like those little buddy almost shaped iced teas. That's what I want. Now, in their minds, I'm sure they think, cool, now I'm going to ration that out over the rest of the day, obviously. What do I do? I literally eat the whole pizza and drink all three of those iced teas literally back to back to back in a space of like 10 minutes. Do you know what happened with all of that delicious sustenance that I had put into my just past uh, anesthesia body? There was a sequel, friends, to that meal. And the sequel literally found itself all over my beautiful bed sheets. And then my very proud, young, insecure 14-year-old had to be washed by one of the nurses, of course, because I couldn't help myself. And so embarrassment added onto this whole story. And in that moment, I realized more is not always more, friends. It's not always more. But I think we think, oh, you know, I know what the answer is going to be. Less is more, yeah, whatever. But here's what I want to challenge us with maybe today. It's less of what is irrelevant, that's more. It's less of what is meaningless, that's more. It's less of what adds true value to the eternal perspective of your calling, that's more. God is not in the business of keeping people poor or having a poverty mindset or wanting to control so that everyone has just a little bit to live off of. God wants to absolutely bless his people, but for the sake of his kingdom and his mission. He wants to have the most mature people possible who can handle little and much for his glory and his kingdom. Less of what is meaningless is more. I love one of the preachers who puts it this way. He says, your life is too valuable, your calling is too great, and your God is too good to waste your life on meaningless things. Isn't that powerful? Can you just hear that today? Your life is too valuable, and your calling is too great, and your God is too good to waste your life on meaningless things. God wants to take you to a place of deep contentment where what is meaningless, less of that is actually more. So let's go to the scriptures. Luke 12. This large crowd gathers around Jesus. This is midway through his, his ministry. And he's teaching in this moment about power and rulership and authority and judgment. And because of that, one of these people present, this man, he probably kind of interprets Jesus' language as that he has some kind of a legal authority. He's here to speak about politics and legal matters and social issues. And so he kind of interrupts with this question in the middle of Jesus' teaching. So Luke 12, verse 13, read with me. He says, then someone called from the crowd, teacher, please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. And Jesus replied, friend, who made me a judge over you to decide such things as that? 
And the reason for this is in the Jewish tradition, you had many of these great teachers and leaders like a Moses. They were also then tasked with having to discern and mediate between all these kind of legal and social issues. And so this man almost sees Jesus as that kind of figure. He looks like the kind of man who's also come to deal with legal and social matters. And Jesus is trying to tell him, listen, I'm not simply here to speak about legal and social issues. I am here to reveal and speak about the kingdom of God that has come to break into your existence. So turn to it, follow it, and let it revolutionize your life. So he says, you know, but while we're here, then he said, beware though, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. And then he told them a story as Jesus does. A rich man had a fertile farm and produced fine crops. And he said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. And then he said, I know, I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And then I'll have enough room to store all my wheat and goods. And I'll sit back and I'll say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. So take it easy, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, you fool, you will die this very night. And then who will get everything that you worked for? So Jesus Jesus says, yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. That is powerful. Do you hear that Jesus is not saying he's a fool for being affluent? That is a mistake of theology, friends. The answer to many of the issues in our faith is not running in the opposite direction. It's maturing to what God's ideal is. He's not saying you're a fool because you're affluent and rich. He says you are a fool because you have nothing more to live for than your wealth. The purpose of your life is defined by the more. And he says, if the basis of my life is not, and I love that language in the NLT, a rich relationship with God, the more will never be more. The more will never satisfy. It will never bring contentment. You will, as Joe, at the age of 21, 22, you will at 82 still feel bitter about a life that was never enough. Everyone got what they wanted. God is a cruel taskmaster. He never gave me what I needed if not based on a rich relationship with the living and good and gracious and just and holy God, the more will never be more. Rick Warren tells a story about being at a a funeral for this lady who was very prominent in their community. She was from a family of billionaires and she had committed suicide. And he said he was standing here in in this deep and solemn moment. People had so many questions. And this man next to him almost verbalized. And he said, man, she had so much to live for. And he says in that moment, he just experienced the Holy Spirit just speaking to him in his thoughts. And he said, yes, you have so much to live of, of. But do you have something to live for? You have much to live off of. But do you have something to live for? Jesus is saying, if I live for what God has given me to steward, it will never be enough. But if my calling is greater than the accumulation of the more, God can entrust me with anything. 
He can entrust me with anything because my calling will become the funnel, what God has called me to do in this world around me and the progressive understanding of it's not just for me and my family, but for the city, for the country, for the world, for his people, for the poor, for the hungry, for the needy. It's for, it's for the, the social pain of our city and the systemic brokenness of our city and, and for the spiritual lostness of our city. You start thinking so progressively about what God has put in your hands that God says, what else can I do but give more resources to a mature person who will use it for my kingdom? Man, money becomes this incredible tool in the hands of kingdom-minded people. You have so much to live off of. Do you have anything to live for? Do you have anything to live for? See, this man at the funeral believed that the more you had, the more secure your life felt. The more you had, the more worth your life emanated. And yet here, a billionaire heiress would commit suicide because she had nothing to live for. I love Tim Kasser. He's a psychologist. And he's saying that psychology has shown us now so many times over the last 30 years that this rings true. If you say, listen, I'm not into this religious mumbo jumbo. You can't guilt me into anything today. I'm not going to guilt you into anything. But maybe then just from the side of psychology, hear what it's saying to us. He's summarizing some research and he says in his book, The High Price of Materialism, he says, many writers have shown that once we have sufficient food, shelter, and clothing, further material gains do little to improve our well-being. More importantly, People whose values center on the accumulation of wealth and material possessions face a greater risk of unhappiness, anxiety, depression, and low self-esteem regardless of age, income, or culture. Less of what's unimportant is more. And all of us say, luckily, yo, that's like rough stuff, psychologists. Luckily, my life doesn't center on the accumulation of, because no one would ever say that. Who would ever say that? Friends, I've been in ministry now for 10 plus years, and I promise you I've heard many things. I'm probably going to hear many more things, but I've heard things confessed and said and spoken in the moment, and just people wanting to get things off of their chest, and that's part of the job. But I'm telling you, sexual sin, I've heard horrific things that people have done that no one else has heard. On all the fronts, you know the one thing no one has ever told me? Joe, I struggle with greed. I struggle with money. I realized the driving force of my life is an insatiable need for more. No one ever says that because no one believes that. And yet, psychology tells us so much of the city here today and maybe so many of us here today have gotten stuck in a mindset of more. And it is going to lead you to the place of not only sidestepping the calling that God has over your life. It's going to lead you to places of depression and anxiety and hopelessness. More will never be more. I've told you before that for me, getting radically saved at the end of my kind of high school career, and a part of my story was my parents had been incredibly successful in what they did in business. They were some of the biggest contractors in all of the province. And so in that sense, I say it shamefully that I was so thankful that I had almost grown up with a bit of a silver spoon in my mouth. And again, just from a place of absolute immaturity, when it came to thinking about what I'm going to do for a living, the only thing on my mind was what is it going to look like? My life. 
what I'm going to wear, drive, I'm going to stay, money, status. I want to pitch up to my, you know, one of these moments coming back to school, like one of these um, gatherings again, and I want people to be impressed with who I am. That was my thinking. I know it's shocking, but I'll just say it. And then, above all crazy things, I experienced God saying, I'm calling you into full-time church leadership. And can I tell you, the very first thing in my mind, when I genuinely, as a young Christian, I felt, I honestly think this is what God is calling me to do. The first thing on my mind was, what will this mean for the income that I will receive? That was the first thing. It wasn't glory and God and kingdom and mission and the church and this, this incredible thing that God is doing on the earth. It was number one. What is it going to be about salary, money, skiller? That was my thought because I had nothing to live for. And I realized that journey that God took me on had nothing to do with money, actually. It had everything to do with God's calling upon my life. Was God going to be sufficient? Was God going to be captivating? Was God going to be useful or beautiful? And when I say God, it doesn't actually matter. You can give me millions and you can give me nothing. The point is, I want to be exactly where you are. Whatever you have for me, I will be cared for. I will be loved. You will be there. And that's all I want. So I'm, I'm signing at the bottom. You can fill in the contract as you go. I've signed. I'm in it. And here's the thing, your calling might not be to be in full-time church leadership. Your calling might be to be a doctor or a teacher or a full-time mom. Your calling might, in this season, be to be a student or a, in a high school. And here's my question to you. Are you taking your calling seriously or are the things of the world captivating you to such an extent that you are missing what God wants to do today in your life? Friends, tomorrow morning, you are going to step, all of you, into something. Every single morning, on a Monday, we send these little videos and we call them specifically Monday Morning Discipleship on our partners group. And the question is always the same. What are you stepping into? And if you feel like, man, in a couple of minutes, you know, my church moment is done. Guys, I want to say it's beginning. Tomorrow morning, church begins. Your calling begins. This is just the halftime talk. This is just like filling up the field, you know, sitting around the word, worship, fellowship. We, we're coming just to be inspired again, to worship God, to be captivated so that we can go and be the church. But if I am so captivated by money and more and dissatisfaction, I will literally sit in a job week after week saying, God, when are you going to do something in my life? Whereas God is saying, I have placed you here. Your calling is waiting. Do you have something to live for? So what are some practical things? How will we fight discontentment, dissatisfaction? Because can I just say it again? Your life is too valuable. Your calling is too great and your God is too good to waste your life on meaningless things. Will you hear that today? Please hear that today. Three practical things. Number one. Be wise with spaces that breed dissatisfaction. Be wise with spaces that breed dissatisfaction. Ecclesiastes 4 verse 4 says, Then I observed that many people are motivated to success because they envy their neighbors. But this too, Solomon says, is meaningless, like chasing the wind. 
Who's gone and chasing the wind over a weekend? Anyone do that like recently on one of those lists of like fun things to do in Pretoria? Like we, when we moved to Pretoria, we had lots of lists like that. And one of those great things is going and chasing the wind. It's like a really cool thing. All the cool kids are doing it. So you go to one of the parks and you just run around. You're like, oh, the wind. You know, I almost had you there. You know, you scale your wind and then you grab it and you, with both arms and you roll around and you try. Who does that? Seriously. Dandelions. I've done it. Guys, if we have a social as a church, like we're going to go you know, chase after the wind. We're going to grab that wind and we're going to put it in our pockets. That is a silly thing. That's the point of this. This verse is saying, how silly is it to chase the wind? And yet, that's what we do. Much of success is actually trying to, to still a hunger for not wanting to be behind. For not wanting to lose out. For keeping up with the Joneses. For being in a race that you never wanted to be in, but now everyone's in it, so now we have to run. You know how many young people I meet that say, listen, I have had a revelation that I want to become a generous and good steward of my finances, but I literally cannot change my job. I cannot move into anything in my career because I have bought too much house, too much car, and I've done too many things that too many credit cards are waiting for me to pay them off. I literally cannot move. And therefore, I just have to continue on. That was never, I promise you, started from a place of, I want to get myself into debt like we spoke last week. It most probably came from a place of what? Comparison. Comparison. I feel discontent. Why? Because I'm standing like in a vacuum. I'm there in the middle of these fields of the university. I'm just standing there feeling discontent. No, I feel discontent compared to. That's why my wife was crying. I was being strong, guys. She was the one who's like, you know, our friends. and Not at all. I was compared to, I was discontent. Now, there are many spaces in life that will make you so discontent. Some of them are physical and some of them are digital. Can I encourage you? I'm not saying legalistic today. Cut those things out of your life. I'm saying be wise if you're a Christian. Christianity on the other side of the cross is not as much about right and wrong and good and evil. It's about what's wise and mature. That's what Jesus wants. I want a mature church. Not people obsessed about sin management and evil and don't do this and don't drink and don't dance and don't. It's like, come on, guys. I want mature people. So what I'm saying is be mature about the spaces you operate in. Some of us are sitting constantly in conversations where the focus of the conversation is like, you know, the, the, the real housewives of Pretoria. That's like your conversations, right? I'm taking some shots today, let's be honest. That show is not about the sparkling personalities, friends. It's about the skiller, that's the point. So if your friend's circle is basically, and I'm not saying people that you hang out with, but the people that form you, there's a difference. Young people, listen to me once again. It's not about cutting out everyone in your life. It's realizing some people are forming you much more than you are forming them. And I'm saying if some of those conversations center around materialism, you will always feel discontent. If you are, like some of you are, we all have our vices. Some of you guys are retail therapy people. When my emotions don't feel good, some people eat, some people use pornography, some people have a whole bunch of things, some people shop. A credit card makes me feel good. There's nothing like a good clothing account to make life better. Now, if that is you, get out of the mall. <laughs> Stop window shopping. Stop doing like a Sunday for you is like church, and now I'm going to the mall. And I strut. 
friends, you will always be discontent. You will always be discontent. Can I give you one more? Social media. Social media is literally a place where the smartest engineers in the world are working ungodly hours on this one issue. How can I keep your attention? And you know what keeps attention more than anything else? Discontentment. So the New Yorker had this article recently saying that Instagram, TikTok, all these things, I go onto it, most people go onto it as a way of regulating their emotions. I don't feel good about myself and my life, so let me go onto social media and get a boost. What ends up happening? I feel worse about myself. I see all these people and their careers and their trips and their things and their clothes and these people. Everyone is winning except me. Even though we know that's not the truth. We know that it's a performative platform. That's what social media is. It's a great thing. There's nothing wrong with it. But human nature bends it to the place where the thing that it will get you to do is not feel God has a good and beautiful calling upon my life. I want to press into God and His Spirit and I want to wring every single drop of calling that He has for me in this world and I will get to the new creation hearing, well done, good and faithful servant. No, social media will make you feel, I never have enough. I am not enough. And the answer is in the more. Friends, please be wise with spaces that breed dissatisfaction. Social media is like a hothouse for dissatisfaction. There was in my mid-20s, I actually, when Facebook was still a thing, I took all the young people like, what is this Facebook thing? Um, I took three years off of Facebook completely. I deleted my profile. Just imagine, how do I remember people's birthdays now? No idea. I missed all those people's birthdays. Such a great moment of my life. Um, you had to phone people. Hey, happy birthday. Um, but I stepped out of social media, once again, not for you maybe today, but for me as a younger Christian, I did not have the level of maturity to deal with the comparison. I was bending my calling away from the beauty and the, the power and the glory of God because I was dissatisfied. Please be wise. Let me just mention the last two and let me finish off. Cultivate gratefulness. Cultivate gratefulness. Colossians 3.17 says, Whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks. And then he says in verse 2 of chapter 4, Devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. And I love the word cultivate because guess what? It's a journey, friends. There's no microwave in the Christian faith. It's all slow cooker. Jesus saves me instantly, eternally, powerfully. He changes my identity. He calls me his own. He makes me part of his kingdom. Nothing can shake or change that. But then the journey into eternity begins of transforming my mind and my heart so that it aligns with his kingdom. So that I would become more of who I already am in Jesus. And that's why I'm saying cultivate gratefulness, thankfulness. It's not a light switch like ESCOM has blessed us with today. You cannot switch it on. I'm thankful forever. You are going to have your thankfulness challenged. Because you know what thankfulness does? I love what Craig Rochelle says. He says that gratitude turns what we have into enough. You hear that? Thankfulness, gratitude, turns what we have into enough. It's not people that have everything they want that are happy but it's happy people that realize what I have in this season is good. 
And God can add whatever he wants to because those things don't make me, therefore a lack of those things don't break me. So even our kids, I mean, it's a small thing, but I've told you before, when we do one of our rhythms for the week is on a Friday evening, we have homemade pizza and movie nights, and it's a small gesture. Some of you guys have joined us for that. Before we eat the pizza, we stand in a circle, we hold hands, and we just ask this one question, what are you thankful for this week? Not what do you, in the form of a prayer, wish that God would do in your life, because that's how we pray often, God, I wish you, and I wish this. We say, what are you thankful for in this week? Why? Because Science tells us the neuroplasticity of your brain, and the Bible tells us your spirit will resound with that thankfulness. And what you have will become enough. Can I just practically say, here's like a very, this is difficult for me, because I'm a, I see the hut and the donut kind of person, so I need to practice this. But in this week, every single time in your mind, you feel, I'm not enough, I don't have enough. In that very second, Take three things on your mind that you can just be thankful for to God in your life. And you will literally see the wiring of your spirit and your brain start to change. Last one. Satisfy your soul. Satisfy your soul. Friends, without this one, all this other stuff, is just, it's just nice to have. It's just, at the, at the worst, it's like religiosity and sin management. At best, it's just a bunch of good ideas. If I do not have an encounter with the living God in Jesus, nothing will ever be enough. If I do not encounter, guys, we've said at the beginning of the year, what are you made for? What's the purpose of mankind? It's to live in relationship with God and to live as a representative for God. To live in relationship with God and to live as a representative for God. To live in relationship with God and to live as a representative of God. If I do anything but that, my soul will forever feel parched, empty, cold. I will have everything I want and I will still feel it's not enough. I need to have my soul satisfied through an encounter with Jesus. I'm going to give you the most, one of the fam most famous verses in the Bible. Philippians 4.13, who just from memory, if you're like an older Christian, you, you've already got it. I'm able to do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Epic verse, if you're going to play a rugby game. Epic verse, if you're going to write a test tomorrow. Epic verse, just before you do your taxes in July. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Friends, do you know what the context for that verse is? It has nothing to do with rugby games or tests or SARS. You know what Paul says right before that? He says, I don't say this out of need, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself in. And any and all circumstances, I've learned the secret of being content. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need, I'm able to do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He says, I go through this life light. And God adds and God chooses not to add, but that's not the issue for me because I'm so content in who he is. He's not useful to me. He's beautiful to me. He didn't add to my life. He changed my life. He is my life. Man, I should be preaching. He is my life. And if not that, it will never be enough. Satisfy your soul, friend. Otherwise, we are just speaking about good tips on finances. But the Christian is not just someone who stewards well. It's someone who lives from a place of satisfaction. So can we end off? I'm going to ask managers to join me. I'm going to give you a picture maybe for today that this will stick in your mind.
So there's a bird found in the Amazon rainforest. It's called a black noddy. It's not a very epic name, unfortunately. I could have lied and like given it some like really cool name, but unfortunately this is the actual name. So the black noddy has this issue that it has almost a natural predator in the form of a tree called the bisonia tree. And what happens is these seeds, just through the processes of adaptation, they've, they've grown these hooks. And for them to, to move into spaces, to, to fertilize more areas and, and propagate, they hook onto this poor bird and then it takes it to other spaces. But what happens often with this, these black noddies is that so many of these seeds hook onto them that they are literally weighted down and they die. It's horrible. This bird is so overwhelmed by all these things that have hooked into him that it literally cannot function anymore. And when I saw this, I saw the picture of a God who created good with intention, with calling, who raises up sons and daughters to bring his kingdom of truth and grace to this world. But I see people that get so consumed with the promises of this world that it literally hooks into them. And are they still the children of God? Absolutely. Does God love them? He adores them. Will they be part of his new creation? You don't even have to worry about that. But can they fly? Can they do what God has called them to do? Can they be free? Can they, can they use their resources, their sexuality, their money, their finances, their relationships? Can they almost marshal all those things on the battlefield of the kingdom? They cannot. Because they are so weighed down by comparison and discontentment that in the end, their souls just die. And I want to say today to you, I don't want something from you. I want something for you. I want you to live a life where the hooks of the world, <laughs> like the old song says, they just grow strangely dim because God is so captivating to you. that you say, God, it's not about the money. It's not about the more. It's about what you have for me and who you are. So what's going to happen is Manalisi is going to sing a song Boss of actually kind of introed already where it uses one of these names for God in the Old Testament, Jireh. And it speaks about the sufficiency of God, the goodness of God, the God who comes to satisfy your soul on such a deep level that you become a mature person who says, God, I will employ everything you have given me for your kingdom. And I'm going to ask you, as we're not going to sing now together, I'm going to ask you if you maybe need to stand, if you want to sit, if you want to kneel on the carpet in the front here, if you want to lie on your face. I come from a church originally, God, we, we lie on our faces. We are free in the presence of God. If you want to do a backflip, do a backflip. If you just want to kneel, if you want to sit, if you want to stand, do whatever you want. But we're trusting that as Mana is just going to sing now, I want the Holy Spirit just to minister to you in the depth of your heart on this issue of contentment. And that you would feel just the Pisonia tree seeds of the enemy's lies in this world and they're not enough and the more the Spirit would just come and take those things off of you. And you would feel just almost like just your wings flapping saying, God, the more that I want is the more of you and the more of your kingdom and the more of your purpose and the more of the joy. Let this just minister to you for a second. And at the end, Mana's going to invite us just to proclaim this together. Amen? Let's do that.